thought it fitting after a week of camp to talk about Job. <laughs> no, it was planned. Um, we had a really good camp. It, uh, it, was, it was harder than usual because we had a couple of kids just shoving toilet paper down toilets and we had to figure out who was doing that. That was a blast. We don't have anybody in charge of that. So it was me. Um, I kind of became a detective. It was fun. But uh, we, we had a good week, and um, you just, it, go, on, go on Facebook and just watch. If you're a part of our group, if you're not part of our little Facebook group, um, figure out how to do that. I don't know how to tell you how to do that, but do it. Um, but get in our group, because um, we'll post prayer requests there and upcoming announcements. That's important. If you're not on Facebook, God bless you. That's a great idea. <laughs> but if you're, uh, if you're on Facebook, go, go find it. And there's a video I posted. What well, I didn't know I posted. I posted, I filmed it, filmed the kids singing at camp. And this is how I film things. You see this? I don't know why I'm holding my hand like that. The, uh, I filmed the kids singing at camp, and... Um, posted it and thought it failed, and two days later it posted. Facebook just worked on it for two straight days and put it up. And uh, it is beautiful just hearing 6th, 7th, and 8th graders sing praises to God um, without trying to figure out who's cool and who's not. And It's just, it's just amazing. Um, we, we have hope for later generations. Your parents and your grandparents' generation were worried about your generation. But as I spend time with these kids, I always just think, man, we've, we've, they're gonna, we're going to be okay. We've got, we've got kids who love Jesus, and that's what matters. Um, and so we turn to Job. Job is one of those books where we know a part of it. You know the story of Job, right? Bad things happen, and then things, good things happen. Did you know Job was, is 42 chapters long? 42 chapters long. Today will be in chapter 1 and for the rest of the year. It's 42 chapters long. And the story you know happens in chapters 1 and 2 and then at the end of chapter 42. It's and chapter 1 and 2 aren't even the main point of the whole book. Chapters 3 through the first part of 42 is where, what the book is dealing with. Chapters 1, two, one and 2 particularly are setting everything up. They're putting the pieces in place so that we can have an important conversation. So that Job, or, and through his friends, can have an important conversation. The conversation is set up. And so I and, and they're hard to read. I'm going to tell you that. You want to dive into Job? It's difficult. Because he has Job is um, he, he has lost everything. He has lost his, his possessions, his family, his health, and he's sitting there, and his wife comes out to him and says what every wife hopes she could say to her husband. Curse God and die. That's kidding. That's a joke. That's a joke. You don't feel that way, some of you. But there are... He's sitting there and his three friends show up. His three friends' names are Eliphaz, 
Bildad, and Zophar. Zophar? Yeah, Zophar. And they sit with him a while, and Job then, in chapter 3, says, Oh, I wish, I wish I was dead. Whoever curses days, I wish they'd curse that day. I wish I'd been stillborn. I wish I'd been, I wish I, I wish they, no one would have caught me when I was born. Just says it over and over again. And that's kind of the poetic phrase of Job. You have to kind of get used to the poetry because then um, Eliphaz comes in and for what seems like an eternity says, I'm going to say something. Uh, hear me out. I will say it. I will say it because I need to say it. I need to say it because I need to say it. And I'm going to say it the way I say it because of the way I want to say it. I mean, it's just, he's, okay, just say it. And that's how the poetry goes throughout the book. So the book is kind of hard. No wonder we focus on the narrative part. But the narrative part, chapter 1 and 2, is pretty much at the, you know, the beginning of Star Wars. And then they start scrolling. And then I remember as a kid, just panicking. I'm lost. The, the chapters one and two are pretty much just the scroll at the beginning of Star Wars. You just—it's just setting the scene to let you know what is happening, so that you can enjoy or that you can understand um, the rest of the book. But chapters one involves this heavenly throne room, and something that happens with chapter one when we read chapter one, because we're about to read it. And I don't want you—I don't want this to happen to you. It's setting up something. It is not a huge discussion about how things work in heaven. We, let's not get distracted by the shiny things, okay? There's going to be some shiny things in this one. Wait, what? Satan's in heaven? How does that work? We don't know. Don't get distracted. We're moving. We're setting up. We're getting to a question. The story of Job begins like this. I wanted to call this sermon series The Wizard of Uz, but I couldn't figure out how the wizard part works. In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. Let's know that about Job. He feared God and shunned evil. This isn't like, and later he will say, and I've been good all my life. What is, why is this happening to me? I don't understand it. And when Job says that about himself, he is not wrong. He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. The fact that he's a righteous man with that many kids is just amazing. And he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels. Hey, Shacobi, can you turn me down just a little bit more? I'm ringing. Or is that coming from my chest? Who knows, I might be wheezing. He owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys, and a large number of servants. That should be translated slaves, because that's what it was. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. His sons used to hold feasts in their homes on their birthdays, and they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. You know this is where we get birthday parties from. This verse, not true. 
and they would invite the three sisters to eat and drink with them. When a period of feasting had run its course, Job would make arrangements for them to be purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice for an offering for each of them, thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular custom. So he's not only uh, righteous for him, he's righteous on the behalf of his family. One day, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with him. Now, at this point, we, we say Satan, we capitalize the word, but in Hebrew, it's just Satan. It's a word for adversary, it's a word for enemy, it's a word for accuser, just anybody, like if you are, um, in Hebrew, if you are the, the, in a court and you're the person saying, this person did this, you are the Satan. So there, here, it, it's... It's kind of hard to tell what is what here, but it doesn't matter to the point because this character in this story asks a question. And the question is the pivotal key to the whole book. Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? And Satan answered the Lord, from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth from on it. Now, at this point, you may be like, how did God not know where Satan was? This is crazy. Shiny things. Let's not focus. Let's focus on the, on the, see, we can get distracted. I got distracted. Here we go. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan, Satan answered the Lord, from roaming through, throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. So the narrator has said that he's a righteous and blameless man. He fears God, he shuns evil. Now God has said it. He's a righteous man. He fears God and shuns evil. Maybe you feel that way. This week I was pretty good. I fear God, shun evil. I always used to think whenever I was a kid, I'd go to church camp, and I'd think, that I was with, I like worship God all week. I was with God all week. Like it, it felt like I was at church all week, and I loved it, and it was fantastic. I, like, I doubt, I probably didn't even sin, but now that I'm a director, I probably sinned. But <laughs> just quickly, like, ah, you know, don't, thought about it at least. <laughs> I love it. I love it when I get Shonda going. That's fun. But maybe we feel at times that we are good people. And you can tell, you can tell the way we talk about things. We talk about bad things happening to good people. And say, people say, why do bad things happen to good people? And my, my question always is, well, what are good people? What are the parameters of good people? Which sins are the sins that keep us from being good people? And which sins are the sins that uh, make us not quite good? Or make us good. Like we, we can sin those sins but still be good people. Which are the sins that kick us out of the good people club? And which are the sins that are okay to have within the good people club? And we can, we can give voice to, oh, yes, the Lord, this, all sins are equal, the Lord. But I don't know. One, I'm not even sure where that idea completely comes from. I think we misquote some verses for that. But secondly, I don't think we believe it even if we say it. 
That when some, one person sins, then they're, they're not upright. When I sin, you know, I know I'm trying. None of us really hit the mark of Job. Blameless. Blameless. Can it be so? The Lord says, look at him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. And then Satan asks the pivotal question of Job. Does Job fear God for nothing? Is Job righteous? If he's poor. Is Job blessed because he's righteous? Or is he righteous because he's blessed? Which is it? Satan goes on to argue his point. Have you put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? Have you blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land? But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well then, everything he has is in your power. But on the man himself, do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Every conversation they have from here on out, every conversation Job has with his friends all of the things that Eliphaz, Bildad, and so far are incorrect about. And everything, Job, Job doesn't have it all figured out in the book, too. In the end, and we'll get there, in the end, Job, uh, God comes to Job and says, do you even know what you're talking about? But it all boils down to are we a part of God's kingdom? Can man be a part of God's nation? Can man follow God without results, without benefits? John Mark Hicks, a, a, a theologian, one of the churches of Christ, only like actual theologians. He has, he has a piece of paper. I don't know if he took, took an online course or what, but he's a theologian for sure. Um, he talks about Job as answering this question. Uh, can man be a communer with God? Like commune with God? Or is man just a consumer of God? Are we just in a contract because the contract benefits us? And you'll see this, you'll, 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 you'll hear it taught. That if you believe and have faith, if you say the right prayer, you, you're, you're, you'll be healed, everything will go well, your kids will be safe, your, your family will be secure. If you just have faith, we will get 
We even talk about this in terms of salvation. And it's wonderful that God has redeemed us. God has saved us. God has, uh, has, has forgiven us of our sins. He has conquered death. But that is not the end as far as Job sees it. It's not even the main point. The main point is that God wishes to be our God and we should wish to be His people. We should want to be in communion with God. We should want to be in relationship with God. And there are benefits to that, yes. But even if they weren't. Sometimes we make the benefits to that now. We believe Jesus conquered death. We believe that we'll get to live forever, eternally, with God and God's kingdom. We believe because Jesus resurrected, we will too will resurrect. And because Jesus died on the cross, our sins are forgiven. But Jesus didn't do those things just so that we could get a thing. It's just so that he could be in relation, the relationship could be fixed. So are we just consuming the gifts of God or are we communing? With God, Because if we are just consuming the gifts, the salvation, the forgiveness, the, the, the resurrection, if we are just consuming and getting those things, then Satan's right. Man doesn't fear God for nothing. We've got to ask ourselves. What if it's all for not? All for nothing. There is a God. There is a king who leads. There is, a, there is community. There is church. There is the work of the kingdom on this earth. But when you die, you're dead like Rover, dead all over. Would we still participate in the mission of making earth more, look more like heaven? Will we still participate in the mission of making this world a better place? Or are we just in it for the stuff? There are two types of people on the price is right. Didn't see that one coming, did you? There are the people who want a car. There are people who want a vacation. They want that laptop at list price. It's always at list price. Those people are. That laptop's not $1,300 on the market. It's $600 at Walmart. I know that for sure. Are we... Oh, <laughs> I got thrown off. That was too funny. I liked it. It was in my head. The, uh, <laughs> so there's that person. They want the laptop. They want the vacation. They want the, the thing. And then there's the best people who wanted to be on the prices right. They don't care. They run up on stage and they don't care what they get. They haven't, even, they haven't even shown them the prize yet. 
They're hugging Drew Carey like it's like the first time they've seen their father. They run backstage and go to wherever it is backstage that they keep Bob Barker and they drag him out on stage and hug him too. They just want to be there. They just want to be involved. And there's people that will say that they don't win. Oh, okay. But these people are just like, oh, okay. Well, whoo, okay. I got to spin that wheel, you know. They don't even know what the wheel means. They just, yes. They're just so happy to be there. I think there's two types of Christians. Shonda. It was the Bob Barker one that got you, wasn't it? My bad. There are two types of Christians. There are two types of Christians. There are the ones that are in it for what we get. And I think we start there. I think we all start there. Especially some of us, we, we get, we're just terrified of the alternative of heaven. And we start in a place where I just, I am so terrified of what, where I could go that I'm, I'm terrified of going to hell. And so we make decisions based on not going or not being condemned. We make that decision. So we, heaven, I remember as a kid, heaven wasn't even that big of a draw for me. And if it was for you, you might be lying a little because it was just like, it was always presented to me like just church forever. Now we say, well, church isn't going forever now? Just church, just on and on church. And I didn't, I don't, I'm not a huge fan of that idea. But I didn't want the alternative. And so the decision to follow Christ sometimes is based on what it is that we get and what, what, what Jesus offers, and that's fine. But as you grow and mature as a Christian, as you become more and more righteous, more and more like what God wants you to be, the relationship with God through Jesus in the Spirit by itself is enough. That's all I need. I will treat people the way they, the Lord wants them to be treated. I will love people the way the Lord has loved me. Not because I get something good if I do it. But because I'm in a relationship with Jesus. I don't know if you've ever read the book, His Needs, Her Needs. It's a relationship book that's horrific. It's a book that basically says men have needs and women have needs and they have to be met or, or there will be affairs. That's all it says. No, every, every, every single chapter begins with uh, women need uh, affection. Here's a story about a woman that didn't get affection. She found affection at work. Every single chapter begins just like that. And in the end, every single chapter tells about what you will get 
if you give. That might be a decent exercise for newly married couples, but I doubt it because you do not want to get five, ten years down the road and be trying to figure out who has given and who has gotten recently. Because that sort of scorekeeping will ruin your marriage. You might not, your marriage not, not, might not end because of it, but it won't succeed within that framework. Relationships are relationships because we just we belong to each other. I belong to you, and you belong to me. We we just are each other's. Are we in these relationships for nothing? Would we do it for nothing? Some of you have deal, dealt with loved ones with illness, even been in marriages where you've had to hire out nursing home people, put them in nursing homes. At that point, you're, you're in it for nothing. Typically in those situations, you were anyway. You're going to stick by them no matter what. And God will stick by you no matter what. And the things we do get from God are fantastic. But the question of Job is, will man serve God for nothing? So we're all on the edge of our seat as we wander into Job, wondering if, is Satan right or is God? Is Job righteous? And Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, they make some accusations against Job. And are they correct? Are we in it for the reward? Or we are, are we in it because we fear God? No. From time to time, it may be both. One of the downfalls of the teaching, that, and you hear this a lot, if you um, believe, then you will be healthy, wealthy, and wise. You can hear this sometimes. One of the downfalls of that teaching is sometimes people get in car wrecks. Sometimes people get cancer. Some people are diagnosed with heart defects. and We don't always see all of the good that we think might be promised to us. When I go to funerals and hear people say, God has a plan. I'm just always so skeptical of that understanding. Because I know and I've heard and we announced this morning Ten-year-old girl was looking for kittens behind her dryer and died. Don't talk to me about God's plan there. 
That's not how my God works. But I do have to answer the question in those times, in those hard times. Will I fear God for nothing? You have to ask yourself that question. Do I, will I fear God for nothing? That's hard for Americans because we don't do much for nothing. We don't. I mean, it was a consumer society. I mean, that's just kind of how we work. Will we fear God for nothing? Do you want to be in a relationship with God? Just for the relationship. There are a lot of benefits, but let's start. Let's just for the relationship. Because then when you're in that relationship, just for the relationship, everything that comes your way in the presence of God those those things can can they're not not like we're not going to find joy in brokenness all the time but we can find peace we can find serenity we can find comfort in the god with whom we are in a relationship if you want a relationship with god this morning through the death burial and resurrection of his son immersed in the Spirit, joining into His death, burial, and resurrection through baptism. If you need that this morning or you want to restart, maybe you've just been doing it for the stuff, and you want to work on your relationship with God, please come forward while we stand and sing.